our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Aristotle once said, Courage is the first virtue, for without courage, all, uh, all the others are not possible. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, good evening. What's happening? What's going on? And most importantly, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question for this evening. Actually, it's a statement. I know. It is not a question. We almost never do that. It's like, what? I know. (laughs) Here we go. It's Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. And Rick, our theme text is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So this is part one of an actually a three-part series on the life of, uh, of Elijah. And again, part one is the power of courage. Courage is perhaps the most underrated, underappreciated, and invisible virtue of our time. We are so busy complying with the status quo, with watching our words and with following what others say and do on social media, that we seem to have forgotten the simple yet powerful virtue of courage. Courage is stepping up, stepping out, and standing against the tide of darkness. Courage is being what you know you should be when it is unpopular with others. Courage is having the guts to listen when others only want to argue. It is reaching out to give when others are focused on taking, and courage is leading by example when following in anonymity would be so much easier. Courage, when observed, incites others to stand. It provokes others to act, and it plants hope where there previously was none. Yes, we need courage. But how do we find it? And how do we learn to be truly courageous? So, tall order for this evening, Jonathan. Tall order. It is, Rick. But uh, obviously, talking about Elijah, that is an individual that we can look at and say, wow, look at the courage he had trusting in the Lord through all the experiences he went through. And, and, and we are going to entirely focus on Elijah this evening. As a matter of fact, all of our scripture readings is going to be from 1 Kings, which is really unusual for us. It is. But we're going to focus on the prophet Elijah. He was a prophet of God and one of the most, the most courageous examples in all of scripture. The reasons for his great courage will be revealed as we see the context of his life. And so that's why this is going to be an actually a three-part series on courage because there is so much uh, content 
in the events of Elijah's life. You just have to go through them slowly so you can kind of savor them and drink them in. You know what it's like, Jonathan? It's like eating. What's it like? It's like eating dark chocolate. Oh, yes. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> you know, you, you take a bite and you sit back and you savor mm. it and you say, oh, now that's good. That's what Elijah's life is like. It's, it's that good. It's, it's, it's the dark chocolate of courageousness in the Old Testament. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, so let's get started, actually, by going to a soundbite. Um, this is from Eric Kaufman. He actually uh, is, is a writer and he wrote uh, one or two books on courage. And uh, in, in this particular uh, soundbite, he's going to give his definition of courage. And it's really a simple, clear, easy-to-understand definition. And I really, it really uh, sort of caught my ear when I first listened to it. So here is uh, Eric Kaufman's definition of courage. Fearlessness is not really a possibility. Courage is a possibility. And courage I define in a really simple way. My definition of courage is walking towards what you'd rather run away from. It's really not that complicated. Walking towards what you'd rather run away from. That's the definition of courage. It's not about being fearless. It's not about destroying something. It's not about completely overcoming it. It's about moving into what you'd rather run away from. You know, with a definition like that, the whole idea of courage is much easier for the average person to get their arms around. It is. It's a visual that you really won't forget. It, it, it's so clear. And, and what it does is it gives the average person hope because most of us don't visualize ourselves as the one who, who leaps into action and stands before the foes and stares them down and with the muscles and the strength and the, the, the glare. Can, can Well, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a superhero. Yeah, but the question <laughs> is, were you? <laughs> no. That's the point. And we, we all get intimidated by that imagery of superhero. And what he's saying is, look, courage is not superhero. Courage is also not an absence of fear. Courage is simply walking towards that which you would rather run away from. We can all do that occasionally here and there in our lives. We can. We there, can. Therefore, we all do have the makings of real courage. And that's a great place to start. So for me, that was a, it's like, whew, okay, that's good. I can, I, can, I can take that definition and say, yeah, I can learn to walk toward things that I'd rather run, run away from. So as we go through this lesson on courage by looking at the life uh, of the prophet Elijah, we're going to just break it up into several lessons. There's like, what, 12 or 13 courage lessons in this, in this uh, program, this podcast this evening. So we're going to state the lesson first, and then we're going to go through the section of scriptures that gives us the definition of that lesson, how that lesson comes uh, to, to be uh, real for us. So our courage lesson number one, Jonathan, is what? Courage is summoned when there is a great need. All right. Courage is summoned when there is a great need. Now, to figure that out, let's look at the context of the prophet Elijah. And, and Jonathan, one of the things to realize is prophets were sent to Israel when there was trouble. When, mm -hmm. when the people or the rulership had strayed away from God and they needed somebody to stand up and say, stop, look up, and reset. 
That's what Elijah came to do. So what we need to understand is, well, what was the problem and how deep was the problem that required courage to be summoned? So we go to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 uh, to 33. We're going to read actually 29 to 31 right now because this gives us the context, the beginning of understanding why courage was needed at this particular time. In the 38th year of King Asa of Judah. Okay, now Judah was the two-tribe kingdom of Israel. Israel was divided into two sections at this point. You had the two-tribe kingdom of, uh, of, of Judah. So King Asa had been king for 38 years in that side. Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And that's the ten-tribe king of, uh, kingdom of, of Israel. Ahab reigned over Israel in Samaria... 22 years. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Netbat, he took as his wife Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbal, and of Sidonians, of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Okay, there's a lot in those few scriptures, Jonathan, that helps us understand the context. Well, so first of all, the problem really comes in the ten-tribe kingdom of Israel, uh, and Ahab reigns over Israel for 22 years. So he's king for a long time. And he's done a lot of damage, if he's evil, right? Right, and it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now, if you go back in history, there were maybe eight or nine kings before Ahab. Oh, wow. So he's the worst of them. And so that says something right there. But if that's not enough, in verse 31 it says, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, another a previously evil king, he married this woman Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbal. Okay, now Ethbal, the, 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 the last part of his name is B-A-A-L, Baal. Like Baal, right? Baal, the the god they worship, right? So Jezebel is not of Jewish descent at all, and she is of a severely paganistic background. So let let's get a little bit of of understanding of the kind of evil that existed with this union of King Ahab, who reigned over over the ten tribes for twenty two years, and his wife. Jezebel. And this is from the, the commentator uh, McGee. And, and Jonathan, the way he writes this, it's almost kind of funny. And you don't hear that from Bible commentators. You're right. So, so, so <laughs> right. Let's, let's go through this. Ahab was evil, and he had a wife that helped him with his evil ways. She was a real helpmate in the area of evil. So now, I mean, he's referring back to the, 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 the original scriptures in Genesis about, you know, Adam's wife Eve would be a helpmeet for him. Well, wouldn't it be a hurt me, Rick, <laughs> not a help me if she's evil? <laughs> well, she's hurting somebody who's already hurting everybody else, so she's helping him hurt. So I don't know how you want to determine it, but it's not a good thing. I mean, he's saying that you know she, she really was, was a, an asset toward evil, and that's not a good compliment. Let, let's continue. What Ahab didn't think of, Jezebel did. What she didn't think of, nobody else could. She was a mean woman. <laughs> this is a commentator. He's just saying, look, she was just plain mean. The combination of Ahab and Jezebel was the worst possible. You can be sure that Mr. and Mrs. Haman were bad. 
Herod and Herodias were evil enough, and we know of Ptolemy and Dionysus and Cleopatra. They were quite a couple. Philip I of Spain and Bloody Mary also did pretty well together. These are four of the most infamous couples in history. All of these are couples who stand out on the pages of history as being evil, but none can exceed Ahab and Jezebel. They had the list. So his take on the evil that they did is as as bad as you can imagine. And so when you look at the life of Elijah, he's the one who's called upon to stand against such evil. And in so doing, this is what he's standing against, an evil that has never been seen in Israel thus far, and that in the annals of history is looked upon as being one of the high watermarks of evil. That's how bad it was, and that's how desperately you needed courage to come and stand up against such things. So what did King Ahab do? Let's get back to First Kings chapter 16 and now read verses 32 and 33. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made a sacred pole. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay, so now it said previously he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as a result, in verse 33, it says, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So we're talking about, at that moment in history, the worst possible uh, expressions of evil within the context of God's chosen people. Well, God was pretty patient to wait 22 years to address it. Yeah, well, and you're <laughs> Can right. you imagine he allowed free will to, to do its dirty work? And, and God does that throughout this whole day of the permission of evil. He allows evil to come to its fruition again and again and again, generation after generation, and it will always be dealt with. And for us now, it, now's not the time for it to be dealt with in, in, in a big sense, but it will be. It will be at some point in the future. That's a really, really important point. So th- there, there is such depth of degradation. We can't even imagine what it would, be, would have been like for God's chosen people to be under this kind of rule. Let's just look into this worship of Baal for just a few minutes, get some history on it so we can understand what it is we're dealing with here. And this is from gotquestions.org. According to Canaanite mythology, Baal was the son of El, the chief god, and Asherah, the goddess of the sea. Baal was considered the most powerful of all gods, eclipsing El, who was seen as rather weak and ineffective. In various battles, Baal defeated Yam, the god of the sea, and Mot, the god of death, and the underworld. So you've got all of these fictitious mythological gods, and there's this hierarchy and these wars between them. And it's kind of interesting that you have all these gods and these wars, and you know the one God Almighty isn't isn't warring with other gods. He's you know I mean, you, you've got the rebel Satan, but that's that's about it. It's a pretty simple, straightforward good versus evil. Here, there's all kinds of degrees, and they all have evil in them. So Baal seems to be prevailing over all of these other big, mighty gods in this mythological view of, of, of the heavens. Baal's sisters, or concerts, were Ashtaroth, a fertility goddess associated with the stars, and Anath, 
a goddess of love and war. The Canaanites worship Baal as the sun god and as the storm god. He is usually depicted holding a lightning bolt who defeated enemies and produced crops. They also worshipped him as a fertility god who provided children. So you get a sense that Baal was a pretty accomplished god, as God goes, with fertility and crops and all of that, and he defeated these others. So he became a real centerpiece in ancient, ancient history of, for people to worship. Baal worship was rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. At times, appeasing Baal required human sacrifice, usually the firstborn of the one making the sacrifice. The priests of Baal appeared to their god in rites of wild abandon, which included loud, ecstatic cries and self-inflicted injury. So you get an idea that there's a lot of emotionalism involved in the worship of Baal. And, and look, humanity likes emotionalism. We like to let go. There's a lot of sensuality in the worship of Baal, and humanity loves sensuality, loves to be have permission to let it go. There's a lot of, of, of dramatic uh, actions in the worship of Baal. And, and in, in, in these cases, Jonathan, in some cases, and it mentioned in Jeremiah 19, where they were to sacrifice their firstborn child to Baal. I mean, you think about that, and you think, wait, 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 that's wait. That's horrific. Of course okay. it is. But that's what, that's the cost of idolatry. It costs us our lives, and it costs us the lives of those around us. That's how bad this kind of thing was uh, in, in those days. And of course, you can look at, at idolatry today, and that's a whole different story. We won't get into that right now. But well, the, no wonder God was upset. Yes, he was angry. So now we go to 1 Kings 17, verse 1, and we introduce Elijah. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab. And we won't go into what he said, but we're just going to go into the fact that Elijah is, is discovered here. Now what does the name Elijah mean? Well, Rick, it means, my God is Jehovah. And I think that's a wonderful name. So what it's saying is... Courage had arrived, and his name was Loyalty. Now, that wasn't his literal name, but his name was, my God is Jehovah. The God of Israel had been confused, had been utterly misrepresented, and now you've got them worshiping something that is, is causing the people to degrade emphatically and dramatically. And along comes a man whose name is, my God is Jehovah, and he stands for what is good. He stands for what is right. He stands for everything that the worshipers of Baal could not stand for. He stands for loyalty to God Almighty. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. Coming up, what drives true courage? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. 
Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in our many lessons on courage tonight, the first lesson was courage is summoned when there is a great need. And we established the great need in Israel at that time was severe and serious idolatry that had poisoned, utterly poisoned the people. So Elijah, my God is Jehovah, is going to have to stand up. So that brings us to our second courage lesson, and what is that? Courage stands on specifics, clarity, and personal accountability. Now, this is important. This is an important lesson on courage, because a lot of times we think of courage as raw emotion, but it's not. Yeah, if it was, that'd get us in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) It stands on specifics, clarity, and personal accountability. How do we know that? Well, let's go and let's read uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, but this time read the whole verse. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay. In this short verse, there are very, very clear, there's clear direction as to how to implement courage. And the first is specifics. One of the things that, what, 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 what does Elijah say? The Lord God lives. So he, he's saying, in spite of all you have done to disavow him, the Lord God lives. He's being incredibly specific. He's, 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 he's speaking what would have been considered an insult in such an idolatrous place to speak of the Lord God. And he doesn't just speak of him. He says, the Lord God lives. So that's the specifics. Next is clarity. And so so the clarity of Elijah's presentation or the clarity of his proclamation, Jonathan, is, is what exactly? Well, it's I represent the Lord God and no other. And here is this message of your punishment for all the sins that you've you've done before God Almighty. God lives. I represent him, so this is the clarity. I represent him. I don't represent anybody else, anything else. I just represent him. And I have a message from him to you, and you're not going to like it because it's a message of your punishment. So we've got specifics, we've got clarity, and now there is accountability. Now, how is it that, that Elijah brings accountability uh, in this First Kings 17, verse 1? Well, this is interesting. It says, my word as God's prophet can release this punishment. So Elijah was given the power to implement God's will. He's given the power to say what the punishment's going to be, And then he is given the power to say, and I can stop it because God is giving me that power, that authority. So he is is showing them accountability, and that accountability is pointing directly back to to Elijah. Now, Now think of the courage for a second that that would take because it would be one thing to say, well, look, I represent the Lord God. He's mad at you, and here's what he said. He's going to do this and this, and you just wait for him to do this and this, and then you just wait for him to stop. You know, that's one thing, but he didn't, Uh (laughs) but he said, (laughs) I can stop it. 
but what are the repercussions from Ahab? Exactly. You think Whoa. about the depth of evil and darkness that he's speaking to, and you go, wait a minute, this would you have the courage to say those kinds of words? I mean, that, that's really what this comes down to. So specifics, clarity, and accountability. All right, let's just go to another, another soundbite from Eric Kaufman. And he's describing courage as three rings, like, you know, three rings of a, of a target, if you will. You know, they get closer and closer to, to, to the bullseye. So let's, let's just get a sense of, of how he is helping us to understand the concept of courage. To lead is to leave the comfort zone, to leave the familiar. The comfort zone essentially has three rings, as it were. There's your comfort zone, there's your growth zone, there's a panic zone. <laughs> your comfort zone is where everything is habituated and known and easy. The growth zone is where possibility, potential, growth, innovation, evolution, all the things that you want that you don't currently have. Personally, as a team, as an organization, in a relationship, spiritually, fundamentally everything that you want that you don't have is not in the comfort zone, it's in the growth zone. If you push too far, you go into the panic zone. Ah, freaking out. Me just jumping out of an airplane to overcome fear of heights was a panic zone thing and did nothing to fix it. So it's the courage to leave the comfort zone. So he, he brings up something really, and earlier in the video he was talking about, you know, I, he was told that because he has a fear of heights that, well, go jump out of an airplane with a parachute and, you know, and that'll cure it. He said, so I did and it didn't cure it <laughs> 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 because he said it was a panic zone thing for him. And, that, and that's interesting. We have our comfort zone and everybody knows what their comfort zone is. Then we have a growth zone outside of it, which is not comfortable, but it doesn't bring panic. It brings us, remember his definition was to walk towards those things you'd rather run away from. That's where you get into the growth zone. The panic zone is when you're put in a situation that's too big for you. Our courage doesn't mean that we're necessarily put in a situation that's too big for us. It means that we are learning to walk into that, com that, that, that growth zone by walking toward that which we are afraid of, which we would rather not walk towards or what we would rather walk away from. So it's an interesting, another interesting visual to say, okay, courage doesn't have to be way, way, way out there, but it's out beyond where you're normally comfortable. And it's such an important thing. And Elijah is such a great example of this. Okay, let's, let's continue. That brings us to courage lesson number three. And what is this? This is another interesting thing that proves that courage is not built on emotion. Courage is patient. It is not driven by emotion or circumstance. Rather, it is driven by the clear commands and objectives of its purpose. Courage is patient because what drives it is something bigger than itself. And if we can get that into our heads, the emotionalism can drain away and we can focus on the, the, the objective. How do we know that? Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. And I'm going to interrupt you. You know that. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Okay. So it's interesting. He goes and makes this huge proclamation to King Ahab. And, you know, if this was a movie, you'd see him stand there and Ahab would come after him and he'd fight him and you, all of that. But what does it say? Run away, yes. Elijah. Run away. Why? <laughs> because your life's in danger. So Elijah was told to run and hide. And you say, well, how is that courageous? To hide was God's will for a time to protect Elijah in a natural way 
until God's punishment could fully develop. You know how you said God was patient and allowed the sin to come to its full? Yes. Well, God's punishment had to be able to come to its full as well. There was going to be a drought, and it had to be able to have its full effect. So for that to happen, it couldn't happen overnight. So Elijah was told, go hide. Let God's wrath slowly and meticulously take root and affect their lives. So it was courageous to run and hide because he was allowing God's will to develop. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. That is cool. You don't think of that. (laughs) Right. And God didn't, like, snap him out of it and, like, you know, beam me up, Scotty. He, He didn't do one of those. He had to go find a place to hide. So what happens, where does he go, and and what happens next? Verses 4 through 6 of 1 Kings 17. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So... Elijah was provided for miraculously as he hid naturally. No one would have seen those provisions, but they strengthened him both physically and spiritually. Uh, And he's patiently waiting for God's purposes. So it was naturally hiding and being miraculously strengthened. So um, Elijah did what needed to be done as a man. He hid so that God could provide the rest. But he was courageous in his hiding. He absolutely was, because he was waiting for the next step of the will of God. Because remember, now he's a wanted man. Yes. And because he's the one who From can... one of the most brutal kings right, right, ever. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. So now, now you have trouble arising. Verse 7. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And that would, you'd, you'd expect that's going to happen at some point. So Elijah personally felt the effects of the drought and therefore personally saw God's purposes unfold. Elijah was not protected from the effects of God's punishment. He, he had to, to go through them with everyone else. So he was doing something different. He was standing in a different way. And Jonathan, you've got um, a short reading that really fits well uh, in in terms of making that decision to stand. And it's titled, Stand. When you can do no more, stand. Having done all things, stand. Be aware how and where you stand. Stand fast in the faith. Stand on covenant ground. Stand with face to foe. Stand watching, waiting victorious. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Stand not in your own caprice or by human order. Even though Red Sea barriers lie across your way, it may be the will of God that you go forward without halt. It is easier to march than to stand. It is easier to rush forward to the charge than to stand still and receive the fiery assault. The good soldier must be ready for both. They serve well who march and fight for their king, but they also serve who only stand and wait. Patience and fortitude are precious in the sight of God, and to obey is better than sacrifice. Where a patient can have its perfect work, whether in the stress and strain of conflict or in the trial of waiting, there it is, a good thing. So to stand is such an important thing. And, and again, to just simply stand never gets a lot of attention. But Elijah had to stand and he had to wait. And that really is 
important. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255 or contact us and leave us a question or leave us a message at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from Maya Angelou. She passed away recently, and she's talking about courage. And, you know, our opening quote um, was from Aristotle saying, courage is the first virtue, for without courage all the others are not possible. She's really playing off of that particular quote. I mentioned courage, and I would, I would like to say something else about that, finding courage in the leaders and in you who will become leaders. Uh, courage is the most impo- important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You see? You can't be consistently kind or fair or humane or generous not without courage, because if you don't have it, sooner or later you'll stop and say, ah, the threat is too much, the, the difficulty is too, too high, the, the challenge is, is too great. So what she's saying is without courage, those other virtues will go un, unpracticed. And what she's really saying is unless you stand, you can't show what it is that you stand for. So we've got to stand. That's what Elijah did. And, you know, it was courageous for him to stand and hide. And you think At that brook. Yeah, it be, was. Because that was God's will at the time. And that's what he did. God's will at the time. This brings us to our fourth courage lesson, Jonathan. And what is that? Courage is confident, even as the road of God's purpose is winding and unsure. So courage has this internal confidence in what it is to stand for. First Kings 17, let's go to verses uh, 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. Now Zarephath was a home of Gentiles. This was not to Jewish territory. This was to Gentile territory. And stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please get me a little water and a jar, that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So this is an unusual, this is not the response you would expect because God says, I've, I've, I've provided, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he, he finds the woman. <laughs> Doesn't sound like she knows the plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she's, they, they have run out of everything. There's nothing left. This is her last meal. Because there are no supplies, and, and, but she is willing. The interesting thing is he asks her for a drink of water, and she's going to get it for him. Yes. She's not complaining about it. She's going to get it for him. And that speaks something to her character and, and, and to some, some faith. And when he asks her for bread is when she says, no, we're, we're about to, this is our last meal, we're about to die. And she says, as the Lord your God lives. Not as Baal lives, but as She the, recognized right. he was a prophet of God. 
and she was willing to serve him as a result of that recognition. This widow was willing and knew that Elijah was, very clearly, was God's prophet. She showed courage. She really showed courage in the face of death. So what happens? What's Elijah's response to her? And let's go, to, El- go ahead, verses 13 oh. through 16. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go. Do as you have said. But make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son now right there that sounds like what are you talking about didn't you get my message i told you're you. taking her last meal from her yeah. elijah what's yeah. up here but see he knows he god has communicated to him what's to happen and so he says that in such a way as to perhaps draw that question like what are you talking about and now he gives the proclamation of god's care For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Yeah, and finish up 16. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Okay, so what you have is a clear-cut miracle that takes place to put things in, 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 in perspective so Elijah can be preserved for the work he's got to do. And this widow and her son are given the blessing of preservation as well. So there's a reward for courage. Just enough miraculous provision until she was able, uh, capable of again providing for herself once the rain came back. So it, again, there's an interesting picture of God giving just enough to get us by when we can't do it for ourselves. Because we have courage in his word, in his will, and in his way, that can be the way we live our lives. Because that's the way Elijah, at this point, lived his. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. Coming up, How does courage respond when things just don't make sense? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming episodes and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Certainly a lot to look at, to listen to, and to learn from and respond to. We really do love to hear uh, your responses to all of the things that we are so privileged uh, to talk about. And tonight we're talking about courage through a very specific individual, the prophet Elijah. And so far, Jonathan, we saw him make a very courageous public statement and then run away. 
That's right, and hide. <laughs> and hide. But, but, but he was told to. <laughs> and he did it with courage, and now he, he provided miraculously, through God's grace, with courage during this incredible drought that was so debilitating. So this brings us to our fifth lesson of courage, and what is that? Courage responds to unanticipated hardships with bold humility, prayer, and action. So... With the courage of Elijah, Jonathan, there was a long period of time that he had to hold that courage. And That's dur- right. During that long period of time, there were unanticipated things that happened. And we're going to get to that in one moment. First, let's go back, though, to Eric Kaufman and his What is Courage video as he's describing um, what, how, how courage looks and, and, and how it feels and, and what we should do to find it. Is first of all, that you have to feel what you'd rather not feel. Do you know what fear feels like? You know that tightness in the gut or the butterflies, the constriction in the chest, the tightness in the neck, sweaty palms, increased heart rate, breathing. You know what that is, right? In a way, the reason we don't want to feel the fear is because it feels so blah. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. It's unpalatable. We don't want it. We want to get away from it. So in effect, pausing to say, well, how do I actually feel? See, when you pause and feel it, you've already started the courageous action because you didn't run away from it. You didn't run away from the discomfort. You walked towards it. Again, that's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Rick, this reminds me of our very first radio program. Yeah, we when felt the, the fear. <laughs> when, when the guy producer looked at us and said, you're on, yeah. all of a sudden... <gasps> It happened. Yeah. The yeah, fear. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was his looking and those words, five seconds, and he points. And you go, what do I do now? <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, and we didn't know what we were doing. But uh, again, but you feel the fear and you act anyway. But, and, and the good news is that with that, if you, if you recognize the feeling, you have taken a courageous step because you're recognizing it and saying, yeah, it's here. I don't like it. But it's here, but I can do something with it and about it. So this such he, he's really logical in his in his his ways of helping us grab hold of courage and think to ourselves, you know what? I can do this. I can do this. I can walk towards that which I'd rather run away from by taking small steps. I can feel the fear. Yeah, I know what it feels like. I can feel it and say, okay, it's here. That's a courageous step. Now, back to Elijah. And so far, Jonathan, he made a courageous uh, proclamation. He ran away and hid. God provided for him. The brook dried up. He was brought to this widow. This widow now provides for him miraculously. And things are going along swimmingly. Well, not swimmingly because there's no water. But <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. Things are going along well until First Kings 17, 17 to 24. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman... The mistress of the house became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. So this Gentile woman is stricken with grief, and she immediately blames Elijah the prophet who was actually, in fact, if you remember, responsible for saving their lives. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because she did have a last meal there she was talking about. And this was probably a year or two before or something, you know, so this was a, a long time. And, you know, harsh loss makes our memory short. 
And I think <laughs> so true. And, and, and she says, what have I to do with you? O man of God, you have come to me to bring my iniquity to my remembrance. She knew that she was pagan. She knew that the God of Israel was the true God and providing for her. So she had that guilt in behind. And, and, and now she's lost her, her only son and she's a widow and she is stricken with grief. And Elijah is looking at this situation and you know what? He's not happy either. And, and so that, that's right. So what does he do? Let's go to verses 19 and 20. We're in First uh, Kings 17. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? So Elijah this this takes him by surprise. It's interesting. You don't get a sense that the provision for uh, the widow took Elijah by surprise because he seemed to have an instant answer. God seemed to communicate to him right then and there, okay, here's how this is going to go. Here's what I want you to tell her. Here's how I will provide. Well, God didn't forewarn Elijah, it looks like here. No, it doesn't. He 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 is plain uh, in, in his expression of confusion to God, like, God, what are you doing? She's providing for me, and, and you're allowing this to happen. How can this possibly be? And, I, Rick, it really follows our courage lesson number five. He had bold humility um, and prayer and took action to go to the Lord to, to solve uh, this scenario. So he starts out with, that, with, that, with that, that deep, heartfelt question, why is this happening, God? He doesn't complain he brings no, he it doesn't. to God. And see, that's an important aspect of this. And he's saying, you know, this woman showed faith, hospitality, and courage, and now this? Uh, surely God's hand would not be short here. And it's like he's thinking, how can this possibly be? It doesn't seem to fit. So he brings his concern before God. And they, there is some boldness in that humility by bringing your concern to God. And that kind of bold humility is appropriate. What happens next? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times. And called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So this is, this is very, very utterly remarkable. He brings this child back from the dead. And you think, well, wait, how could he do that? Well, God did it. Okay, let's, let's make sure we understand that, first of all. But it's interesting that he says, it says that he stretched himself upon the child three times. In scriptures, Jonathan, three is very significant because it is a sequence that usually shows us the completeness of an experience. That's right. Uh, Jesus was tempted with three different temptations by, by Satan. That's right. Jesus called the apostle Peter three different times to follow him. That's right. And he also said, asked him three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied him three times. Three times. <laughs> so you have this, this three that, that gives you a, a full experience. And perhaps, this is a perhaps, perhaps do, having to do this three times signified Elijah's complete willingness to first, like you said, be humble before God, to, to just lay it out with deep honesty 
and and question before God Almighty. I don't understand, God. You have protected me. You've protected her. You've protected the boy. And now this? Why? It doesn't make sense. So, so the first step of his complete willingness was to be humble before God. What, what was the second step? Well, Rick, while asking boldly for a miracle, you know, did he have the right to? I don't know, but he did it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And he said, it seems that this woman should not have to suffer in such a way because she has been your instrument for me. So he takes that, he takes her actions, he takes her hospitality, her show of faith, her kindness, and he puts those things before God. So he's, he's humble before God. He boldly asks for a miracle before God. And what's the third thing? Well, lastly, Rick, he's acting boldly to receive it. So he didn't just lay the child out in front of God and say, okay, God, I'll, I'll sit here and wait for you. He laid himself over the child three times to, to, to symbolize his, his, his personal uh, participation in this prayer. This was a prayer of his heart because he's putting himself into it, laying himself over the child. So this is a very, very moving, very powerful moment in the life of, of Elijah. And, and Jonathan, this shows a different level of courage. Oh, it does. Now, the interesting thing about this courage is nobody is going to see this courage except for Elijah, the boy, and the boy's mother. But there is very powerful courage expressed here. Just like nobody saw the courage of hiding by the brook. Nobody, because nobody knew where he was. That's okay? right. So what we're seeing is after Elijah made that one public statement and ran to hide courageously, there was courage in the quietness. There was courage in the interaction with these two individuals. And, 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 and he boldly acts and he receives God's blessing upon this boy and his mother. And verse 24 of 1 Kings 17, uh, King 17. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So it's interesting because she's called him a man of God before. She has. And... So the result is a really grounded faith in God and his prophet. And it kind of reminds me of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, early on in his experiences uh, with, with Daniel, saw great uh, miracles, and he said, oh, God Almighty is God Almighty. We should all yeah, worship him. he acknowledged him. him several times. But, you know, he had an appreciation for God, but he didn't have a deep faith in God. Now, after a while, after he was turned into a beast for seven years, yeah, he came back and he had a deep faith in God. And you can see that this woman, I think, has developed that kind of faith. And, you know, maybe this was a lesson for both that woman and for the prophet Elijah to show him the depth of the power that God would work through him. Because this, I think, was perhaps preparing him for his really great works that were going to come. So, makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot really, of sense. Really, really is 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 quite interesting. Let's go to uh, another soundbite. This is from a CNN program from uh, September of 2013, 
and it was called Six Ways People Found Courage, and it's 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 just interviewing different people in their experiences and their courage, and you've got to really listen to figure out what it was they were courageous about. But it, it's it's just it's just inspirational about people's reactions to circumstances in their lives. Where do you find the courage? I think I'm a person who represents, A, you never give up, you find a way. If something really is important to your heart, you, you look and see what's inside yourself and you find a way. I don't want this to be the end. So whether it's, you know, running the marathon or walking the marathon or crawling the marathon and being the last one across, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I didn't say I'd win it. But I, I am defiant and I, 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 want to, I want to come out stronger. Just continue to push. And so every time things come on, I always say to myself, push past the pain. It's going to be okay. So I know today that no matter what, I can push past the pain. So, so you had the first woman uh, dealing with, with great pain and pushing through. The second woman was a woman who lost her, her leg in the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. And the third woman was someone who had gone through some horrific uh, painful experiences, and all of them were just showing you that that desire to push through, push past. Don't don't stop in the middle of it. Keep going. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at eight six six nine eight five forty two fifty five, or ask your questions and leave your comments at christianquestions.com. And Jonathan, you know, we, <laughs> you had made a little bit of a, a joke early on in the program about uh, instead of uh, Jezebel being a help meet, she was a hurt meat. Yes. We, we got a comment from the, uh, from the chat board that says, uh, 1 Corinthians six fourteen to 17 warns us to not unite with hurt meats. And, and verse 17 says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, says the Lord. And then the comment is, sometimes courage is walking away from what we are drawn to. Mm, because good, good point. sometimes what we are drawn to is that hurtfulness that is not godly. So it's courage it can be walking towards those things that you're afraid of and can be walking away from those things that you were drawn to. I well. like that. Excellent comment. A, a good supplement to, to uh, what we've been talking about. So the fifth lesson was courage responds to unanticipated hardship, hardships with bold humility, prayer, and action. And we see, uh, we, we see the, the incredible experience of Elijah in, in dealing with that. Now let's go to courage lesson number six. Courage does not forget its mission during periods of waiting. Sometimes, and again, courage on television and in movies never has to wait. That's right. It's instant. <laughs> right, because trouble always finds them. Courage in real life often has to wait. And we see that in Elijah. First Kings chapter 18 now, verses 1 and 2. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying. Okay, so after many days gives the idea that God just late let Elijah wait and survive, just like the rest of the people. Three years. Three years. Again, symbol There's of a, that three again. Symbol of a complete experience. Three years, that complete experience, he had to wait. There was not a lot for him to do except to just to, to, to essentially be a good citizen and be loyal to God in all of that meantime. And sometimes, like in that reading you read about standing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's harder to just stand. 
It is. You're right. You know, it's so much easier to, to, to charge because at least you know what you're doing. You know, okay, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm after it. But sometimes just standing is the greatest courage. And if we do that just standing, we can prepare ourselves to be ultimately courageous when we do have to charge forward. So what is God asking of Elijah now in verse uh, 1 of First Kings 18? What's the next phrase? Well, here we go, Rick. It says, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Okay, so God is very specific. Go, go fi- to the enemy. Right. <laughs> go find the king who would see you dead in an instant. Go find Whoa. him. Show, you, show yourself. Don't deliver a message. Show yourself to him. God's specific. So what okay. is I, uh, uh, First Kings 18.2, what does Elijah do? So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Okay. It's instant and unambiguous obedience on the part of Elijah. No discussion, no questioning how it's to work, just a simple, simple acquiescence to the will of God. That's what Elijah was about. That's how Elijah worked. He heard the will of God, and he did the will of God. And he had to wait three years before he could act on it. And now comes the big, big, big test. And that'll come in the second hour. Folks, we're talking about courage, and specifically the courage of Elijah. And wait till you see what he has to face. That's coming up. Again, the question is, what is the power of courage in your life? We'll be back soon. Till then... Think about it. And while you're thinking about it, just remember, we love to hear from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics for us. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to bringing you new programs each and every week. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Winston Churchill once said, You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Good evening. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, tonight's topic is one of those that everybody needs to hear, to embrace, and to practice. What is it? You're right, Rick, and it's Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. And our theme text is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So in the first hour, Jonathan, we talked actually about six lessons of courage, and we're going to breeze through them quickly, and then I believe we have a, a caller on the line that we want to get to right after that. So courage lesson number one was what? Courage is summoned when there is a great need. And remember, the great need in Israel was the worst king ever in terms of, of dastardly acts of evil. Lesson number two. Courage stands on specifics, clarity, 
and personal accountability. Which means uh, it's something that is very, very well defined. Courage lesson number three. Courage is patient. It is not driven by emotion or circumstance. Rather, it is driven by clear commands and objectives of its purpose. Okay, so it is not emotional, and, and many, many times we, we, we confuse that. Courage lesson number four. Courage is confident, even as the road of God's purpose is winding and unsure. So courage has that quiet confidence that carries us through, even though we may not be sure what's going to happen next. Lesson number five. Courage responds to unanticipated hardships with bold humility, prayer, and action. All right, it responds. When things don't go the way you think, courage responds. And finally, lesson six from the first hour. Courage does not forget its mission during periods of waiting. Okay, so there are several things that we have to look at when we look at and we think about courage. And those six lessons were simply drawn by observing what happened to Elijah before the big, big events of his life. I mean, when, you, when we go through the things in this hour, Jonathan, what happened before you're going to look at and say, well, gee, that was nothing. And no, it was necessary development is what it was. It helped him to hone his courage, to have patience in the will of God, to focus on those things which were so important and so critical to uh, his life and his mission. So, uh, Jonathan, I understand we have a call. We have Joy from Montana on the line. Good evening, Joy, and welcome to Christian Questions. Oh, hello. I just want you both to know that this has been very encouraging for me. Um, I especially am strengthened by realizing that part of courage is feeling what you would rather not feel and pausing and feeling it. And um, for me, that also that saying, walking toward what you want to run away from, I would add for myself, walking side by side with Jesus toward what I want to run away from. And that changes the scenario. Who am I, just like with Elijah, who is he standing for? Well, who are we walking with towards whatever it is that we need to walk toward? And one scripture on this is Psalm 56, 3 and 4, and it says, When I am afraid, um, I run away and hide. No, when I am afraid, <laughs> I keep thinking about how afraid I am, and, uh, and I just get really nervous. No. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in Thee, in God whose word I praise, and God I have put my trust. And then it says, I shall not be afraid. So there's kind of a process that we can go through. So I just, uh, there's a lot of incidents in my life that require uh, walking towards what I would rather run away from. And um, these steps that you've mentioned have been are very practical. I really appreciate them. And um, someday I'll talk to you about my experience skydiving, which was an experience with courage, and I, uh, it, did, it was a good thing. <laughs> but um, in summary, the only reason I could do it is because I did picture myself tandem with Christ. And um, I guess I'll just say, when we have to say something we're afraid of, if we know that we're tandem with Christ, you can jump out of a plane, so to speak, symbolically. <laughs> and the risk, there is no risk. <laughs> and in the, in the most, uh, of course, in an idyllic sense, we do face risk. Um, but when Jesus is with us, it's sanctified risk. 
Anyway, thank you so much for your thoughts, and God bless you. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it, and not too often we get to hear from a skydiver, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. We appreciate your call. And, and Jonathan, that really was uh, interesting. And, and, you know, she brought out some important points about, as a Christian, we do. We walk with Jesus. Jesus walks with us. We are not alone. Elijah was not alone, but he was not alone in a different sense than, than we as Christians. So, uh, Joy from Montana, thanks for those thoughts and bringing it right up to date with our necessity for understanding who it is that we walk with. Jonathan, I want to go to a soundbite now. This is from a movie. Uh, this is from Live Free or Die Hard. This is a Bruce Willis movie. And um, the context of this particular scene is there's this young computer geek that he is rescuing because this is the kid, of course, who knows the code that will save the world or something like that. And the kid's a computer geek, and he is not a a courageous kind of guy like Bruce Willis's character who is the, you know, the diehard character who never quits, you know, and has like courage coming out of his ears. Uh, <laughs> and and it, it's an interesting conversation about what makes you that guy. What? It's not funny. I'm not like you. I can't. What do you mean? What's that mean? Like what? I'm not like, uh, like heroic and everything. I'm not <laughs> brave like you are. I'm not that guy. Nobody's here, kid. Okay. You saved my life like 10 times in the last six hours. Just doing my job, that's all. Uh, you know what you get for being a hero? Nothing. You get shot at. You get a little pat on the back, blah, blah, blah. boy. Get divorced. Your wife can't remember your last name. Kids don't want to talk to you. You do a lot of meals by yourself. Kid, nobody wants to be that guy. Then why are you doing this? Because there's nobody else to do it right now. That's why. Believe me, if there was somebody else to do it, I would let them do it. But there's not. So we're doing it. That's what makes you that guy. You know, and there was a lot of background to driving in a car in, in the movie. But, you know, that's what makes you that guy. Is the fact that you realize there's nobody else to do it and it has to be done. So I'm, we, we are doing it. And it's interesting. He says, so we're doing it. And, of course, by the end of the movie, the, the kid becomes that guy as well because he sees courage again and again and again and is able to, to find something inside of himself that he couldn't have without that example. But I think about that phrase, what, what makes you that guy? And to me, it helps to focus on being that individual who's going to stand when others perhaps won't. That's what Elijah did. That's the example for us, and that's what we can and should learn from. So great, uh, just interesting uh, piece of drama to add to our story. That was, Rick. All right, courage lesson number seven is... Courage can be expressed in many different ways. We are going to take a left turn in our discussion of Elijah and courage because we're seeing Elijah, and he's about to be the most out-there example of courage you can ever imagine. But we're going to look at the courage of somebody else. First Kings 18, 3-6, who gets involved in this story in a huge way. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So Obadiah 
is this other God-fearing man in Israel, and Ahab, Obadiah ran Ahab's household. So he was a trusted servant of King Ahab, of the evil King Ahab. But secret, but, but, but he's helping the prophets who Ahab's trying to kill. Right. He has secretly hidden 100 of God's prophets and fed them and kept them safe for who knows how long during this time, quietly, secretly, covertly. Oba's, Obadiah's courage was flying under the deadly radar of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, it's interesting because at this point, Elijah probably commanded all their attention. They bent their will to find Elijah because he was the one who brought the drought. Right. And he was the one who said could release the drought. So they are looking and looking and looking, and Obadiah l- takes this opportunity and does this incredibly valuable work of saving lives. So this covert operation of his required exceptional courage, and it required planning and secrecy and energy and wisdom and perseverance. Obadiah was driven by his loyalty to God and the sacredness of life. And it was courage, Jonathan, that was covert, that nobody knew about, that wasn't out there, wasn't out there being displayed and proclaimed. But it was just as courageous as that of Elijah. What a powerful message on courage being expressed in many different ways. Can you imagine feeding 100 people with bread and water every day? During the drought? Wow. I mean, the, the food you'd have to haul, where do you find it, the water, where do you get it, how do you do it so nobody knows? I mean, he must how, have, how can you sleep? Right. He must have slept like two hours a night or something. <laughs> so Ahab is, calls Obadiah, and um, he is supposed to be going uh, to, to see about finding more water. Let's read verses 5 and 6 of First Kings 18. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys, Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. See, Obadiah had Ahab's trust as Ahab undoubtedly recognized the strength of his character and the zealousness of his actions as he was a protector of life. So he sends them, you go that way, I'll go this way, let's find uh, something that we can keep the cattle alive so we don't have to kill them because they're going to starve anyway. So Obadiah is working for the king to preserve life and working against the king to preserve life. Courage. (laughs) Great courage. Let's take a moment, let's go back to uh, What is Courage by Eric Kaufman. Remember, he said you have to feel the fear. Remember, that was the thing, his last soundbite from him. Now he's talking about facing, facing it. First feel, that allows you to do the next thing, which is to face it. To face it is to name it, to call it what it is. I am really terrified that if I take on this project, I'm going to fail, I'm going to look like an idiot, and I'm not going to have promotion opportunity. Well, how does it feel? My stomach is tight, my shoulders are tight, my jaws are tight. That's one. Well, now I need to face it. What is it actually that's going on? I'm afraid of failure. That's feeling and facing. Okay, so feeling and facing um, is, is important. Those are the first two things. There's another one coming. That's going to bring us, uh, Jonathan, let's go to our, our eighth lesson in courage, and then let's just, I just want to ask you about maybe a personal experience and having to have courage in your own life. So what's the eighth lesson? 
Courage finds strength and resolve and reassurance in those who play a different yet still courageous role in the purpose to which it is dedicated. We're going to get into the practical application of that in 1 Kings 18, 7 to 15 in just a moment. But first, just Jonathan, one of your own life experiences that, that you look back on and say, wow, that took, that took courage that I didn't think I had. Well, after I answered the call uh, to the Lord to follow in his son's footsteps, uh, soon after that, we had a very difficult family experience. Uh, my oldest sister um, with her husband were in a car accident, and for my sister, it was a fatal car accident. And we all raced to the hospital uh, where where the accident was, and um, no one wanted to go to the car to get the belongings, and I, because no one would do it, I had to step up to go and actually see where my sister died. Yeah. And it was a scary, hard thing to do, but I, I had to do it. And the Lord gave me the courage to step out and do it. So it wasn't, I'll go do it. It was, I'll do it because it has to be done by God's exactly. grace. And then uh, at the funeral, I took about five minutes uh, and I spoke um, sharing the hope of the kingdom, um, which... It, it petrified me to even think I was going to, but I just wanted to share the good news and the hope of one day seeing my sister again. So courage on, on both counts to step out of what was in your comfort zone into your growth zone. Yes, and, absolutely. And by God's grace, others were blessed by that. And folks, that's the way courage works. It blesses other people. Let's look at Obadiah's courage now. Thanks for those experiences. Very, very, very appropriate, very touching and very real. In, in, in the world in which we live. Obadiah's experience now. He's, he's trusted by the king, but he's protecting a hundred prophets against the will of the king. Now what happens? First Kings 18, verses 7 to 15. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. So he finds Elijah. You know, that's not by accident. God arranged this. And he's being told by Elijah, uh, he recognizes him. So, so Obadiah was uh, courageous in his humility because he knew the power of God that flowed through Elijah. And, and, he, he, and, he's, and, and Elijah says, okay, go tell Ahab I'm here. Now, this is a scary thing for Obadiah. Oh, you're right, Rick. So what happens? What does he say? He said, what sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. So Ahab's frantic and fearful search for Elijah is here revealed. I mean, he went to the nations around and threatened them. If you find Elijah, you swear to me that you will tell me about him because we are after him. Elijah was the, 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 was the number one criminal for, for, for those who were idolaters. And it's revealed that Ahab would stop at nothing to get Elijah. And so that's why Obadiah is afraid. He's like, if I tell him you're here, <laughs> he's going to kill me. What have I done? He's going to kill me. What, 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 it, uh, Obadiah continues to describe his, his situation and why he is afraid. 
It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them bread and water? And now you are saying, go, say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I surely shall myself show him, myself to him today. So Obadiah's concern is that, you know, God is going to protect you. So you're going to be zapped someplace else. And here I am going to be holding an empty bucket. I can't do that. I'm afraid I'm doing God's work. And Elijah says, look, I need to show myself to the king. This is God's will. We have to do this. So Obadiah needs reassurance. And sometimes, Jonathan, sometimes our courage, sometimes our courage needs reassurance as well. We are not perfect, and we need encouragement to have courage. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. Coming up, how does courage respond when finally put to the test? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah Part 1, The Power of Courage. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Sign up for CQ Rewind, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider Weekly material at ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we continue, we're going through all of these incredible lessons that we can learn from the life of not only Elijah, but now Obadiah, uh, in terms of how they lived courageously. And their courage was different. They played different roles. They required different things. But both of them lived up to it. Now, Elijah's was much more dramatic, as we're about to see. But Obadiah did some great, wonderful work for God by preserving life. I mean, he was a hero of heroes in what he did and how he acted. Um, but, you know, so Obadiah now has to go and uh, bring, bring the news. And so what's courage lesson number nine? Courage will eventually bring us face-to-face with the enemy to deliver God's word. All right. So eventually you're going to have to face the enemy. That's what's going to happen. So 1 Kings 18, 16 through 19. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Okay, so pause right there for a second, because Obadiah goes and he tells him, even though he was afraid, he did what he needed to do. That is such an important part of this, because he was honest, he was sincere, he was forthright, and he was courageous. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, 
together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah is confronted with Ahab. Ahab's words to him are, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Uh, You can imagine he is seething with anger. Elijah's response is, I am not troubling Israel. You are. You and your father's household, you have forsaken God Almighty. You have taken on idolatry. And because of that, you have caused all of the grief in Israel. That's powerful. He's the cause of the drought, not Elijah. Right. And Elijah has the courage to tell him. You think, wow, that's a lot of courage. You ain't seen nothing yet as far as a lot of courage. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is really, really going to ratchet itself up. So Obadiah and Elijah risked their lives with the messages they bore as Elijah laid out a really serious challenge. He's talking about gathering together the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah all together. And there's just going to be Elijah and then these 850. And you think, wow, that's pretty crazy. And so, so now the, the, the story is really going to uh, develop a, a lot further. Before we go further, though, Jonathan, I want to take a moment and just share an experience, a personal experience of my own um, that, that was really, really hard. I'm actually going through some experiences now that require me to step in places that I've never really wanted to, and maybe one day we'll talk about those. Okay. But, um, you know, this, this particular experience was one we've talked about on, on, on the program uh, three, two and a half years ago when my daughter was assaulted. And, you know, when, when, when your 15-year-old daughter is raped, you sit there in utter shock, horror, and disbelief. And I will never forget sitting around our dining room table, my family, my son, my two daughters, my wife, and myself. And we were just as devastated as I could ever imagine. And I sat there and I thought to myself, my family needs me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel courageous. I didn't feel like, oh, I'll save you all. I was scared. I was broken. I was, I was, I was, I was torn to pieces on the inside. But something spoke to me that was beyond me that said, Rick, stand up. Stand up for your family. Lead them through this horrible experience and by god's grace i didn't know what to do but he showed me and he never showed me more than the next step and for me that was a real experience of having to step out in courage in a way that just that i never would have experienced and folks i would encourage you to listen to that story because it is an inspiring story of courage and overcoming uh it was done august 30th or 31st i can't remember of 2014 and I think the title of the program was "What Happens," or so "What Happens When Life Gets Broken," or something like that. Anyway, we well, all thanks for sharing that, Rick. We wow, all, we, what a what an experience. We huh? all we wow. all we all need courage. We all need courage. Let's go back to Eric Kaufman. What is courage? Memory said first you've got to feel, then you've got to face it. Then what do you do? This is the third step. And the third part is that you are actually going to embrace it. To embrace it, not obliterate it, not ignore it, but you're going to move 10%, 15%, 20% closer to what it is. To embrace is to say, what's the plan? What am I going to do? How do I remain in a forward motion in spite of my discomfort? And choose to walk towards what I'd rather run away from. 
because that's courage. And if you want any kind of accomplishment in leadership, in life, in love, courage is the first virtue that makes all the other ones possible. That saying just keeps coming up again and again. But again, here he's saying you've got to embrace it. You've got to embrace the experience. And by embracing it doesn't mean that you can crush it, but you accept it as something that is in front of you. And once you can do that, Jonathan, courage can begin to grow and then to flow. Courage lesson number 10. We are moving through these lessons like crazy here. Courage lesson number 10. Courage stands boldly and seemingly foolishly as it fulfills God's plan. Oftentimes, courage, true courage, looks really stupid to the people around you. You're right. Let's look at Elijah's courage here, and you get what we mean by that. 1 Kings 18, 20 to 25. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Well, now, think about it. You think the people are going to answer him a word? You've got Elijah on one side, 850 prophets of idolatry on the other side. Staring him down. Staring him down. (laughs) The king, who is so angry and seething and idolatrous and evil, and Elijah saying, how long are you going to not, you know, decide? Decide, people. If, if you want to worship Baal, then, then decide to do it. If you're going to worship God, though, take a stand. And they didn't say a word. Why? Because it's 850 to 1. That's why. <laughs> you look at that and say, what? okay, we, we theoretically know that you stand for the Lord God Almighty, but, but wait a minute, look at this. This, is, this ain't right. This, this, can't, this can't work. So the people didn't say a word. What happens next? Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. So he's suggesting, okay, well, first of all, he says, I alone and left a, a prophet of the Lord. Well, there were, there were other prophets. We knew there were a hundred hiding, right. hiding in caves. <laughs> but he's the only one speaking up in public, staring down idolatry at this that's moment. Right. And that's You're really right. what he's focusing on. He says, okay, let's both make a sacrifice to, to our gods. We'll need two oxen, one for you, one for me. You cut it up, you lay it on the wood so there can be a, a sacrifice. I will do the same, and I will sacrifice to God. And so he's saying, but nobody gets to use fire. Now, look, I don't know about you, but when you're going to do a sacrifice like that, you need to have the thing that you're sacrificing, and you need fire to consume it. Right. Just saying, without the fire to consume it, it doesn't count. All right? So what happens next? Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, this is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Okay, so, you know, so, so, so the next step is, all right, 
We're going to do this. We're both going to present them before our, uh, what we believe to be God, and, the, and the, the one that gets consumed by fire obviously is going to be the real God. And the people are going, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Now, look, they don't, get, they don't lose anything here, right? They're still... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to go with the one that gets consumed, and, and we, it sh- we should be fine. You know, so, so they're still afraid. But Elijah is making this incredible challenge and he's by himself and there's 450 active prophets of Baal on the other side. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. So... We look at this 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 story developing, and the drama is is just. I mean, you could probably feel the tension in that in that in that in that area, and you could you could, you know the saying goes, you could cut it with a knife, because there is this one guy in the midst of and and Jonathan, if there's 450 prophets of Baal in the forefront, 400 prophets of Asherah or Asherith or whatever it is in the background. You've got King Ahab and his soldiers, no doubt. And then you've got the people. I mean, you're talking probably thousands. Yes, I'm sure you're right. So, and there's this one guy, one man in the midst of thousands making this challenge. And he is the, literally the only one on his side who's saying, I'll do this, all of you do that, and let's see whose God is God. And so, I mean, he is setting such a high bar. And, and again, why does he do it? Well, because God is with him. God told him. And because of his past experiences, seeing miracle after miracle, right, right. he knows God's right. going to come through. Right. God gave him the ability to raise that boy from the dead. He gave him the ability to be hidden when he needed to be hidden. He gave him the ability to, to create a source of food and, uh, and, and oil for the widow and her son and himself. He, he gave him the ability to proclaim a drought that came to pass. So he knew God was with him. But the thing is, you say, okay, well, God told him. Well, that makes it easier. Yeah, but you still have to say it. That's right. You still have to stand there. You still have to believe it. You can't say it and say, well, you know, maybe God might be thinking that my sacrifice will be consumed and maybe yours won't. So maybe you should think twice. I mean, he's speaking with boldness and with power and with passion and conviction. And he's saying, the one who is consumed by fire, we will know God is God. And this one man, when you think about it, he is controlling this whole, this whole, this whole exercise, this whole experiment. It's incredible. He's, and Ahab's allowing him to. Right. <laughs> Ahab can't stand up to him. So, it, it, so it, it's fascinating. So let's continue. First Kings 18, 26 to 29. Then they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar, which they made. Okay, so they, um, you know, it's interesting. In the previous reading, uh, Elijah says, you know, you take one ox, I'll take the other. He says, you prepare yours first, because there's a lot of you. You know, there's a lot of organizing to do on your part. So you get yourselves together, you go first, I'll go afterwards. He is completely calling every shot here. 
So they go from morning till noon, and they're crying out out loud. And there's 450 of them crying and pleading to their God, Baal, to answer us. But there was no answer. And they leaped about the altar. Remember in the first segment we were talking about, you know, sometimes with the worship of Baal, it was very emotional with a lot of physical activity and, and, and emotionalism. Well, it's getting there, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. And, but, you know, maybe it's not going fast enough. So what does Elijah do? He provokes it. Here, here's what happens next. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awoken. <laughs> so, so he's saying to them, Okay, maybe this god of yours is away on a journey. Maybe you have to call louder because he's further away than you think. Or maybe he's taking a nap and he needs to be waking up. You need to wake up your God because, look, there's 450 of you and there's a sacrifice that's waiting for fire. Get to work. I mean, he's your God, right? You know he's a God. You believe in him. Go get the job done. So, so he's a, he feeds the frenzy for all pagan worship survives and thrives on emotion. And I will say that and this may sound bad in, in this context, but pagan Christian worship also thrives on pure emotionalism as well. And there's something to be said for that when we get into that pure emotionalism without the, the principles of righteousness and truth, we're missing the boat. Paganism is completely missing the boat here. And they, they now have to get more emotional because now they're being challenged with that. So verses 28 and 29, this gets kind of gross, but this is what happens next. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. When midday was past, they raved until the time the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. Courage allows events to unfold and reveal the truth. Elijah didn't have to say any more. They got so they went so over the edge that, that some of them probably bled to death in terms of this, this pleading for Baal to answer. But no one, there was no voice, there was no answer, and nobody paid attention. You know why? Because there was nobody there. There That's was right. nobody there. This brings us to courage lesson number 11. What is it? Courage honors the sacredness of sacrifice to God first and foremost. 1 Kings eighteen thirty to 32. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. So now Elijah not only is going to do his, his part, but he calls the people to come near to him. And as they come near to him, what does he do? He rebuilds an altar that was used to make legitimate sacrifices to God Almighty. And he does it by taking 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, Israel is broken in two pieces right now. That's right. So he takes the 12 stones because he's sending a message. This God. altar was destroyed 22 years ago. So God is the God of all of Israel. I have been brought to you to show you this, and these 12 stones will represent the unity of us 
beneath the rule of God Almighty. That's what we're here for, to sacrifice to him. So he is creating this incredible level of drama as he takes these stones, but then he doesn't just build an altar. So with the stones, he builds the altar in the name of the Lord, and then he digs a trench around the edges of the altar. I, I bet everyone's like, what's he doing? Right, but you know what? I bet nobody asked that question out loud because at this point, nobody's going to question what this man does <laughs> because he is so powerful in his courage to stand for what no one else could stand for that I, I really believe that the crowd there, the prophets of Baal included, were afraid. They were looking at Elijah. They were looking at what he did and how he acted and the power and the confidence with which he operated and thought, this, there, there's something different about this. There's something different about this. I don't know who he thinks he is, but there's something different. Who he thinks he is is about to be revealed. And it's a really simple answer. I mean, who Elijah thinks he is is he is loyal to God Almighty because, you know what? That's his name. That's what he stands for. That is who Elijah is, and God will be praised as a result. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Elijah, Part 1, The Power of Courage. Coming up, what is the result of courage that is boldly applied? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Elijah, Part 1, The Power of Courage. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in our final segment, we're going to see the, the, the climax of this incredible experience, this audacious courage that Elijah exhibits. And he puts out there, he shifts the responsibility to where it belongs. Everybody knows he stands for something that they are afraid to admit. I mean, Israel is, they know God, but they're afraid. They've been afraid. They've been intimidated for years and years and years. And now Elijah comes along as one man and stirs within them that loyalty that they had been afraid to stand for. I mean, there is incredible power when we have and express courage in the face of, of difficult things. I want to go to a soundbite at this point. Again, this was from that CNN special on courage uh, from September 2013, Six Ways uh, People Found Courage. This is a terminally ill boy. He must be 11 or 12 years old at the most. Listen to how he talks about the tragedy of his own life. And you think, this is a kid. Listen to the courage that he expresses. Sometimes I say, why me? Why have I had such a hard life? Why have my siblings died? Why does it not go away? And then I think again, why not me? Better me than a kid who already has stress on his life. Or better me than a baby who wouldn't understand it and who has a bare chance of hurting more. So I think, why me? 
and then I think, why not me? Now that is courage. That is courage in a way that most of us can't even fathom. That's a child. What maturity? It, it was really incredible. And, you know, courage in the face of death, in the, in the face of hardship, in the face of pain. Elijah showed us that kind of courage. Courage lesson number 12 is what? Courage boldly proclaims the mighty power and sovereignty of God before all. This is what Elijah came to do right here, right now. This was the, the epitome of his experience at this point of his life. 1 Kings eighteen thirty three to 39. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So there's several things here, Jonathan. First of all, there's this the, the audacity to set the sacrifice up and then douse it with water, which is very precious at this point. And how many times, Rick? Three times. Why wow. three times? The completion of the experience. I am going to completely proclaim to you, God is God. There will be, there will be no question left when we're done here. Because, and the purpose of the water is to say, look, there's no hidden fire, there's no magic, there's no secrecy. This is exactly the way God wants it to be. He is proclaiming himself in a big, big way. So, what happens next? The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned the heart of men, heart back again. So Elijah speaks out loud. He speaks out loud to God to create a no-doubt-about-it experience that God would be revealed. And he's saying, we, God, bring their hearts back to you. Don't let them be afraid any longer of worshiping and honoring you because you are their God. So what happens next? And Jonathan, this is the event. What happens here? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So what happens here very clearly is the drama of the moment cannot be overstated. One man stands against hundreds, proves to all that God is God, that he is mighty, that he is to be praised. God not only consumes the sacrifice, he consumes the wood, he consumes the altar, he consumes the water, he consumes the, 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 the dust, everything. And, and Rick, I was thinking, you know how water represents truth? Yeah. Well, Elijah was showing truth will be revealed yeah. uh, with that water. That picture kind of hit me. And so, so you've got this incredible ending that is beyond what anybody could have even imagined. It is, it is bigger. It is stronger. It is more powerful. And, and when you see it, you say, wow. 
That is the power of God, and that's the courage of Elijah. Jonathan, we have Julius from Connecticut online. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening. Wow, what a topic. Isn't it something? <laughs> Always timely. You know, in today's world, it's a, it's a daily challenge to go out in the world today and uh, uh, face all of uh, the life's problems and the traffic, etc. It takes courage to, uh, to just go out there every day. But anyway... Uh, uh, may I say hi to my friends in Australia? They told me that they listened to your program in Australia, one of the places. Okay, go ahead. Down there. <laughs> I want to say hi to them, uh, nice folks down there. I'm delighted that uh, they listened to you. I, I had correspondence with them. Yeah, we, we hear you on Christian questions. Great. Okay, <laughs> I have three, three folks here. Uh, three people telling a story about courage, Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're going to recognize them right away. Oh, one of them says, uh, you know, I'm pretty brave, man. He says, I walked on water. Really, says the other one. These are biblical characters, of course. One says, I walked on water. And the other one says, yeah, really? I can top that. I, I was thrown in a, a lion's den, and I survived a, a bunch of a wild, a hungry lions. And the third one says, Really? How about this? He says, I kill a, a, a giant. Of course, those are the three characters, you know, Peter, Daniel, and uh, David, uh, respectively, in, uh, in the scriptures. There, uh, uh, Matthew 14, Matthew 17, and uh, Dan uh, Daniel uh, uh, chapter uh, 6. And David, David is 1 Samuel 17, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, bottom line, brothers, with God, all things are possible. God bless. Thank you. All right, Julius. Thanks so much. Appreciate the lesson. Thank you very much. Take care. You know, you know that that's an interesting, uh, interesting way to end that. You know, with God, all things are possible. And really, that's one of the lessons we have to learn about courage: is that God is waiting for us to stand courageously for His cause not for ours for his cause so let's go back to this incredible story jonathan everything now has been consumed by the fire that comes down from heaven it is unequivocal god is god first kings 18 40 to 46 then elijah said to them seize the prophets of baal do not let one of them escape so they seized them and elijah brought them down to the brook kishon and slew them there so now you have Elijah doing the really dirty work of eradicating evil from the land. And, and Jonathan, you know, for Christians, you look at that and say, wow, that's harsh. But you know, they had corrupted God's holiness. They had laughed at it. They had spit on it. They had made it a mockery. And now they were standing against it in all of their frenzy, and God was proven to be God. And, you know, Look, the resurrection, you talked about the resurrection in, in your experience with your sister dying in a car accident. Yes. Those prophets of Baal will be raised as well. That's right. And hopefully they'll learn the lesson that they needed to learn with Elijah. Well, and, and really that, that's the point. So, so let's now go to um, what, what happens now. He has slain the prophets of Baal, and now what? Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the roar of heavy 
showered. So now, he didn't really hear rain. He, I think he's speaking symbolically here. The sound of God's will fulfilled for those that are faithful. Because remember, rain was going to be coming back when, when God was re-proclaimed here. And I think that's what, what he's talking about. But verses 42 and 43. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked up and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. All right. So so it's interesting. Elijah is telling Ahab, Go eat and drink. And you think, Why would he tell him something like that? And, you know, probably Ahab hadn't eaten all day because of all of the activities. So he's like showing personal concern for his personal well-being. Now, look, Ahab is going to meet a bad end a little later on, okay? But until then, Elijah is saying, you know, nourish yourself because there's more to be done here. God is not finished yet. And I think that's why he wants Ahab to be uh, nourished. He has to see the rest of God's incredible power. And then he says, uh, so he goes up to the top of Mount Carmel, and uh, he has his servant and says, now look toward the sea, and what do you see? And he says, nothing. Well, go look seven times. Now, this is not three, but seven. Seven often in, in Scripture represents divine perfection. And again, the perhaps the divine perfection of the conclusion of the lesson of the bringing of rain, very powerful rain. And you would mention rain in Scripture is often a symbol of truth. So the truth of the power of God is going to be rained down upon the people in the most dramatic fashion possible. So what happens next? It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So, several things here. You notice that Elijah has been commanding the king all along? Yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I, get, I get a kick out of that because the power of God overrides the power of men. And even though Elijah stood alone in all of this, the power of God gave him a voice that was stronger and more focused and more powerful and, and more clear than any other voice in this whole in this whole environment. And he says to Ahab, get going because it's going to rain really hard and you're not going to get to where you want to go because it's going to rain that hard. So, again, he's commanding the king and he's telling him, you've got to leave now. And the king is going to do exactly what Elijah says. I mean, if the king would have done that years ago, he would have saved himself so much trouble. <laughs> but again, in a little in ahead. a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So you think, what? Now, the distance between these two places, Jonathan, is about 16 miles. He outran him? Wasn't Ahab in a chariot? Yes, yeah. So. It's a, this is interesting. Only a miracle could happen. So but you see the power of God upon Elijah. Because he was willing to stand for and with the power of God, 
God continued to give him strength after strength after strength to do things that no one else could or would do. And that's what courage actually can bring us. If our courage is expressed in following after the will and the way of God, you end up rising to heights that you never thought uh, imaginable. And we're not talking about heights of glory, you know, in terms of men. But we're talking about heights of spirituality, of fulfillment, of, of being able to be an example. You think of the Apostle Paul and how he was an example of self-sacrifice. Absolutely. And you think of where he came from and, and so forth. So, so when, when we look at this experience, evil had to be destroyed. The king had to be taught, and the rain had to come. All of these things were happening in this last reading. All proofs of the sovereignty of God, and all came to pass through the courageous acts of one man. I mean, just imagine, Jonathan, just to take a, just a humorous point of view for a second. So, you know, Elijah goes home at the end of the day, and, and, and somebody says, So, Elijah, how was your day? Well, you know, <laughs> typical day. Prophets of Baal, fire, rain, outrunning a chariot, nothing special. I mean, you think about it. What an incredible experience this is in the life of this man. Uh, I want to go to one final soundbite, Jonathan. We've got just a couple minutes left. This is from CNN News, uh, and this is Morgan Freeman. He was being interviewed on rich and about you know rich and poor in this country, and and he said something that 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 was really interesting in terms of courage and its role in 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 the world and and what it can actually do for us. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I had a long haul uh, from where I came from to here, but. Here we are. Right. So proof is in the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and here we sit at the dining table. But it's hard to when you say that to some people because they say, "Oh, there you go with a pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing," and you know you're just being respectable. Not everybody can do that. Everybody can. Everybody doesn't. Courage. Courage is the key to life itself. There are a lot of people who are born in situations where they say, well, I just, I'll never get out of this. So they won't. Right. I say to people who say, well, I, I would like to have done so and so and so. Some of you could have done it. Mm-hmm. So, well, I couldn't get out of here. Man, the bus runs every day. <laughs> <laughs> very, very appropriate lesson. You know, there you go, talking about pulling out yourself up by your bootstraps. Everybody can't. No, everybody can but you have to be focused on the right kinds of things. Our final lesson encouraged Jonathan, lesson number 13. Courage is not perfect and sometimes falls prey to fear. So Elijah is an incredible hero, and you expect him to walk away as an incredible hero here. What happens? 1 Kings 19, 1-3. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and arose, and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah the hero, his life is now threatened by Jezebel, and what does he do? He runs, he's scared. So you think, wait a minute. How is that even 
possible <laughs> I don't that know. Elijah the hero <laughs> is afraid, but he was. And that just shows us that none of us is Human perfect. Nature. None of us can overcome all of the fear inside of us, and it's okay. And in part two of the series on Elijah, we're going to walk through some of his, of his fearful and depressed times and see how God blessed him through those as well so we can get to the third part of the story of Elijah in which he creates an incredible legacy for us to look at and learn from. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it really is all about courage. We hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. We've certainly enjoyed being with you. So with courage, with your life, just remember, courage is there waiting for you to take hold of it. Small steps from your circle, from your comfort zone to your to, to the to the circle of growth. That's where you want to go. Till next week, think about it.